I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, February 10th, 2024, and this is episode 232 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Just as a reminder, you can always sign up for the Footnotes newsletter, which includes the show notes for each episode, as well as inspiration, strategies, and ideas to help you grow as a writer. And that is at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. When you sign up, you can choose to become an imaginary best friend for a few dollars a month and get access to monthly premium craft post quarterly workshops. I posted the workshop on novel revision just yesterday, I believe. Um, so it's available for imaginary best friends. There will be more quarterly workshops coming up. Um, you'll also get discounts on my courses and my one-on-one coaching. So join me there again at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. This week's best thing. This week was an interesting week. Um, I'm going to say that the best week, that the best thing this week was having to go back to the drawing board on my novel, The Book of Secrets, as its temporary current title is. So I've been talking about this book, I guess, since the beginning of the year. And I have a new agent, which I can talk about a little bit more in a moment. But my new agent is Arlie Sorg. He is an editor at Locus Magazine. He used to be a co-editor at Fantasy Magazine. I've known him for years, and I'm really excited about working with him. He's new to agenting, but he has lots of great experience, connections. Um, just his industry experience is really valuable. But as an editor, he has proven to be extremely valuable as well. So we're working on my option book for my contract, which just means that my publisher, Orbit, has the first right of refusal on my next work of adult fantasy. And I had spoken to Arlie about this new story, and I had come up with the outline. I finally gotten from beginning to end. It took me about a month. So I think I started working on this on January 8th. This was last week, so three weeks. I thought I was doing pretty good. I mean, it was a good start. We spent an hour going through his notes about this outline, which was like an eight-page outline, bullet points that I had sent him. Just, you know, making me realize how far I still had to go. I, I got to the end of the outline and I was super excited about having you know, a full story to show him and knowing it needed work, but not really knowing how much work it actually needed. It is rare that I get feedback at this stage of the game. So A, you know, I'm thinking, oh, wow, these are all good points. We've spent 65 minutes talking this through. All of these points are good points. I can't really disagree about much of it. And B, how have I ever written a book before? <laughs> like, some of the things that he was pointing out, I was like, I definitely should have seen that. I should have pinpointed that. I should have known better than to do that. And it kind of made me feel like I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I've never done this before. <laughs> like, I haven't written however many novels are back there that, that I have written. But anyway, and it was lovingly done. It wasn't like a harsh criticism at all. It was just a lot. And I was like, yeah, I have a lot of work to do. So going back to the drawing board on certain aspects of the story, some of the things that he pointed out that I had been unable to see on my own were things like, there was a lot of coincidences. Like a lot of the 
turning points or maybe the catalysts for action were coming a little bit out of the blue and weren't connected to anything larger. Like this would happen and then this would happen. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. There were issues with characterization, world building, relationships. You know, some of the characters were very thin. Now granted, this is an outline. I have not written the book yet. But even at this stage, like he could see these things. Now, to be fair, I spent three weeks on this. You know, this was the first blush. I go through my process and I start sketching things out. But I don't have a lot of answers for questions that he was asking. And it's not like I should, you know, after only a few weeks of, granted, a few weeks after (laughs) 10 years of off and on working on this. But this was a, a new direction for the story. So it's very natural that I hadn't thought of these things. It's very natural that I didn't have these answers. But, you know, writing a proposal is new for me. I did, I feel like I sold The Monsters We Defy on proposal, but I had written at least a draft of that. I might have written two drafts of that. So I've never sold a book. Well, that's not exactly true. I did sell another book on proposal, and then I canceled that contract and did not write that book. Uh, But it's very difficult for me to... You know, this is a, a kind of a new experience. I haven't sold a book on proposal that was entirely my idea. So we can say we're, we're on new ground here. And part of me is like, I'd rather just write the thing and then sell it because then I know what it is, as opposed to having a proposal, which is essentially an outline or a synopsis of the story. And then the first few chapters, maybe the first 50 to 100 pages, depending on you know, you know, the publisher and the editor and what they want. And... I don't know how to do that. I know how to write a book. I know how to write a synopsis that I write the book from that then changes midway through. Like we've talked about that ad infinitum on this podcast. So it's new ground. But it was also incredibly helpful to have someone pointing out the problems before I write the book, which is also a new thing. So anyway, the point is this week's best thing to get back to the beginning was going back to the beginning, having that feedback, feeling like, oh, I have the opportunity to make this really good because I can start really strong. Some of the questions I knew I needed answers to, some of them I didn't, and just pushed me to to dig deeper, even at this stage. And so as opposed to, I think what my normal process is, do it on my own, come up with two drafts, and then have an editor ask these questions and point out these things. And then I do another draft. I don't know if this will end up being a shorter process, if you know it will uh, shortcut that same next stage. I feel like there's always going to be problems. You know, A developmental edit is always going to show you things that you couldn't see on your own. But I am grateful to, to have that input right now. So it's, uh, I don't want to say less spinning my wheels because I'm still figuring it all out. But I'm figuring it all out with a lot of guidance and assistance in a very organized way. You know, like I'm constantly talking things through with my writing partners and my brother and my first reader and like, what about this? I'm thinking about this and I'll get some feedback. But this kind of thing where it's like, I make an outline and someone says, hey, did you think about these 25 things? (laughs) And I'm not sure about this and maybe think about that In in a very kind and gentle way, but still a very like insightful way. It's been great. So let's look at the Book of Secrets diary, since we've last spoken. At first, after the feedback, my natural inclination is to go back to the core. So in the the Imaginary World Building course, in the Story Seed workbook that 
I have, which is the beginning of the process. It's like, why do you want to write the story? What is important to you? What are you hoping to do? Coming back to that and saying, okay, all of these things I have to figure out. I don't know the answers to all of these questions. It is a little overwhelming, this decision fatigue. Let me come back to the core, to my grounding, my vision statement for my story. What is this supposed to be? I then went back and looked again at some of the notes. I hadn't looked at all of the notes before. So I went back and looked at some notes I hadn't looked at before. Found some interesting pieces of research, some concepts that I was dealing with that maybe I can incorporate, maybe I can't. But um, I was looking at some of the research that I had done for Daughter of the Merciful Deep. And some of those concepts I had broken off because I was like, oh, that would be, I could, I could use that in Book of Secrets. Like even as I was researching it, I would come across things. Case in point, one of my days of research this week, I had an idea for the future project that is bubbling in my mind. So I kind of set it aside for when I'm ready to deal with that. Um, so yeah, there was a couple of quotes, a couple of little like research threads I was pulling on. Then I was just revisiting the characters. Uh, I needed to revisit the villain again, but also the backstory. So I needed to revisit the emotional journey of the main character. And that was kind of the, the core of some of the feedback. And in looking at this emotional journey in a way to deepen it and to make it more resonant, I realized I needed a new Enneagram for this character and I needed to, needed to shift her personality. I've done personality shifts on a character before. I did it on Daughter of the Merciful Deep. After I wrote two drafts, I think the, the third draft was like, okay, maybe, maybe it was the second draft. I changed the sister Grace's personality quite a bit. So her circumstances were the same. Some of her actions were the same, but they had different reasons behind them and so that they could go in different directions. So there are certain core things that are a part of this particular story that I do not want to change. Everything else is on the table. And that's important to me. I need to be flexible in order to find the core of the story, that sort of that resonance and that meaning that connects me to be able to tell it and ideally will connect the reader to it at the end. And so figuring out the motivation is key. And sometimes if I don't, if I can't figure out the motivation that is strong enough to pull me through the story as the writer, I need to change the character. And that changes the motivation into something that I can understand and connect with. So I was working with an, an Enneagram, I think it was number nine, the Peacemaker. I've never written a Peacemaker character. But then I realized, no, she's really a number two. She's a helper. Which, back in my old notes, she was a helper. She always was a two. I don't know why I was trying, trying to change it to a nine. But she's a very interesting two. And I changed a lot of her circumstances. You know, some of the feedback uh, Arlie gave me was that the story felt very YA, which makes a lot of sense because originally it was YA. And I had tried to age it up by doing a few things, but it wasn't enough. And the vibe of the story, the energy was still feeling YA. And I didn't want this to be a YA story. There was a lot of feedback that I got and I was chewing through it. But, you know, it's one of those situations where it didn't make me feel bad. It made me feel bad in the way that... <laughs> It's like, oh no, he thinks I'm a bad writer. <laughs> like, he's like secretly re regretting signing me on as a client, one of his first two clients. Like, obviously, he's regretting that decision. But then, you know, I was like, no, I'm not a bad writer. I just need more time to figure things out. I'm deliberative. That's one of my top five strengths in the Gallup uh, Strength Finders test <sighs> high intellection, high, high deliberative. And I need to think about it. I need to sit longer with it 
and think all, think it all through, which I hadn't done, but I'm glad like it all works out the way it's supposed to because getting that feedback at this stage has really helped my direction before I could go too far down a path that eventually I would have figured out all of these problems, but it might have taken me until the first or second draft to do it. Like I said, I'm sure I'll still have, you know, significant developmental edits to go through, but at least they'll be different than these edits. One of the older outlines that I went back to and reread, which I hadn't reread this whole time, gave me something that I had thought of before and forgotten. (laughs) And it's really gold. And it's actually a different ending. And it requires a a different antagonist or an additional antagonist. And so now I'm looking at my forces of antagonism differently. This way it connects more to the themes that I'm working on. And it connects more tightly to the themes. There's some things that I had thought about that were cliches that this other direction allows me to avoid. It's, you know, it's more interesting. And I've told a couple of people about it who I've been talking to this about, and they're like, oh, their eyes light up. So I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. I think this is better. And I'm grateful for that. So one of the lessons is your first pass through is the most surface pass. And this is a thing that I know and I understand, but it has to be reinforced sometimes. That's why if you get stuck, uh, there's some advice out there to do a list of 20. If you're brainstorming ideas for like a new scene or some element of the story, don't just stop at the first couple. Push yourself to find like 20 options, not not just 10. I mean, 10 is the bare minimum. 20 is really hard to find. But if you're digging to find 20, and don't edit yourself, like any ridiculous thing put down as part of your 20. If you're digging deep enough to find 20 possibilities for any problem that you encounter in the story, you're going to blow past the surface and you're going to, you're going to have some ridiculous things that are completely awful, but you will find some gold. Like one of those 20 things may just be a thing that you hadn't thought of, that is unexpected, that is fresh and new and different, and you wouldn't have gotten gotten to it if you hadn't kept digging. And so my first pass at the outline was surface, there was cliches, there was coincidences, there was random things happening. And now I'm digging deeper and finding the actual gold. In other writing news, uh, February 12th to the 16th, 2024. So if you were listening to this in real time, it is Pro Writing Aids Romance Week. So there are four free days of writing education, events, workshops, live sessions with best-selling and critically acclaimed authors like Alexis Daria, who I love, Suzanne Park, and Sasha Black. Sasha Black, actually, we have interviewed for the Ink and Magic podcast, which her interview was coming out in a few weeks. That was a great talk. I highly admire Sasha Black and the way that she thinks about craft and villains. Um, So there's going to be software demos networking events, and things like that. So you can register for free for the first four days. The last day is actually for premium subscribers only. If you are interested in, you know, if you're a romance writer and want to take part in Romance Week, you can go to lpen.co slash Romance Week. The link is in the show notes to sign up and take part in all of this knowledge. And in my reading, recent reading, I read, I'm reading more outside of my core genre, which is basically any kind of romance. But I've been reading more thrillers uh, because Book of Secrets, I've been thinking of it as a paranormal thriller that may that may change, it may not. But I'm enjoying reading some thrillers. 
So I was recommended this book, All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby, which is more crime fiction. I don't know. I don't know what the line of thriller is. It's less psychological thriller and more just crime, which is not my genre at all. I'm not really into scary crime things. And this is a pretty grisly, twisted crime thing. So it may not be everybody's cup of tea. It's a very good book. I listened to the audiobook. Great narration. Um, really good writing. I hadn't, Essay Cosby has not been on my radar, but essentially it takes place in a rural Virginia small town. The main character is the new black sheriff of this county. Uh, and it's near, near-ish where I used to live. I, I, I lived in Norfolk, Virginia for many years, and this is Gloucester County, so north, uh, but right on the water. And I guess it's an invented, an invented county, uh, but it comes to life so well. And it's this awful serial killer. There's a school shooting at the beginning. It's like I said, really twisted, maybe a little gross. Like a lot of things are described. He doesn't describe things in a way that it's going to make you like have nightmares. He talks around it, but sometimes talking around it is is, is worse. So I didn't have nightmares. I'm not really prone to nightmares, but I, I wouldn't recommend reading this book at night. Still very good if it's your cup of tea. One thing, now after I finished reading this book, I started, you know, just wanted to read and listen to interviews with the author and a really interesting person. One thing I took issue with, I guess, or a thing that I have been thinking about because of Daughters of the Merciful Deep and some of the things that I'm dealing with in that book, which takes place in an all-black town in the South. So I saw an interview with him. He was on CBS this morning or Sunday morning, whatever that show is called. And they, they're in his actual town or where he lives in Gloucester County, I believe. And, you know, it's a mixed town, uh, deep south. Virginia's the deep south, right? I don't, I don't think Virginia is deep south. I think like I've Mississippi is deep south. But Virginia is definitely the south. And this is a town that has Confederate flags flying around. So it's a, you know, the nomenclature of whether it's deep or not. I don't know. Anyway. So this town that he created in the book is a lot of racial strife, and it's very on the surface. And it mimics things that happen in real life. But he admitted in this interview on CBS that he, like, took it to the next level. He, like, exacerbated it more than it is in his real life, in his real town. And I wonder about that choice. Like, we make choices, we take dramatic license with with real, like, real events, realistic events, things that mirror reality. But when you take racial tensions that exist in the world and make them worse for fiction and dramatic effect, that's just something that I struggle with. You know, is it responsible to do that? And in my research for Daughter of the Merciful Deep, I wanted to create a Black town that was, you know, it's part of the undercurrent of the story is that people come to this all-Black town in 1935 because of like racial cleansing incidents in other places, which are absolutely real. I did a lot of research. And there's no question that there have been, you know, horrific acts of violence. I mean, I visited the whole lynching museum in Montgomery, which is incredibly powerful. If you ever get the chance to go, that's not the name of it, but it's the Museum of the Lynchings. <sighs> is it responsible to portray things worse than they might have been? Or is that even not a question? Because somewhere it was that bad. Somewhere the worst thing you can possibly think of has happened. In the context of, you know, a book about a serial killer, I don't listen to true crime. Like I said, crime is not my thing. I'm sure there are people like Hannibal Lecter out there. But are there really? I mean, there's Jeffrey Dahmer, right? But like, 
And, and then are we splitting hairs if we're saying was Jeffrey Dahmer as bad as Hannibal Lecter? But my point is just that, you know, as, as when we write fiction based on reality and that that's grounded and very visceral and realistic in certain ways, how responsible is it to make it so much worse than it is in, in real life? People don't want to read about real life. You have to heighten things for fiction. Movies heighten things. I mean, when a, when a book is turned into a movie, things are compressed and they're heightened and they're emphasized and it's all because of the story. But I personally struggle with that. You know, I have things in the book that are based on real things, but I couldn't find evidence of certain things happening. And I'm trying to talk around it with no spoilers. And I was like, should I do this when I'm not sure this actually ever happened? If I describe something that is even worse than the things that did happen, am I being irresponsible? I don't have an answer. This is something I struggled with. If anyone has any thoughts about it, feel free to let me know in the comments. But um, yeah, I think about that. Because there is, you know, there's studies that have shown that at a certain point, I think in the 90s, there were, were more portrayals on TV, like percentage-wise, of upper-middle-class Black people than that were, were represented in reality. So it's like for a long time, Black people were just maids and butlers, and, and now they moved into a place where we're seeing more judges and lawyers on TV. But proportionally, there were more on TV than there were in real life. So that caused some people to believe that racism is over and Black people are doing amazing, and some of Black people are doing amazing, but some aren't. And when you see more than in real life versus seeing less than that are in real life, there are consequences to both of those things. And it's just something that I think about, you know, it, no, nothing can be perfect and we can't strive for any kind of perfection. But when we're showing the world, when we're reflecting, you know, certain things about the world in a way that is worse or better, we can add or better, than it is in real life. What is the responsibility there? What are the consequences of that? All that being said, if you like crime fiction, I highly recommend All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. It's very well done. And maybe just don't read it before you go to bed. So that is it for me for this week. My goals for the coming week are to continue plugging away at my story. Uh, everything is on the table, characters, plot, figuring out the ending, I'm still a couple of weeks away from having another outline, I think. And that's okay. I'm just going to take my time and, and do the best book that I can, best proposal that I can, and see where it goes. And I will talk to you the next time. For episode show notes and to sign up for the fitness newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And please, I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For my fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>